0: Exodus chapter 34, as we continue our series of messages on 40 days and 40 nights, we come to the second occurrence in which that comes to play in the life of Moses. This morning in Exodus 34. So far, uh, we have looked at Noah. We've seen that those 40 days and 40 nights represent not only God's judgment, but also God's grace. In the first occurrence we have with Moses, we see those 40 days and 40 nights standing for worship and word, God's instruction and God's truth. In this section, we're going to encounter God's glory and our reflection of that glory. 40 days and 40 nights. Let us hear God's breathed out word to us this morning, Exodus chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not been created in all of the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god for the Lord." whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. You take of their daughters for your sons, and your daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you, as the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it you shall break its neck, all the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. None shall appear before me empty handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest in ploughing time, and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of week harvest, the feast of the ingathering at the year's end, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you shall go up. ...to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. And you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened... ...or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. The best of the firstfruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel... So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, The skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people, of Israel, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, the day that we can celebrate not only the worship, but also Mother's Day. I ask that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he explains this passage to us. We thank you for your servant Moses, that you sustained for 40 days and 40 nights with no food and no water. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So we want to look at three things from this passage this morning. First of all, the Lord's instruction. Secondly, the Lord's presence. And thirdly, the Lord's glory. The Lord gives two instructions to Moses here. One, cut two tablets. Cut two tablets. The first time Moses went up, the Lord provided those. Exodus chapter 24, 12, I will give you two tablets of stone. But now you see there is a need for the tablets to be made again. That's because in Exodus chapter 32, When Moses came down from that mount the first time and sees the golden calf, he smashes those two tablets. They have to be made again. It's rather interesting that the Lord doesn't just say to Moses, come up here and I will provide you with two more tablets. He says to Moses, no, you need to cut them. You need to bring them up this time. It is indeed an injunction against Moses. It is God's word of judgment against Moses. You shouldn't have thrown him down the first time, Moses. That wasn't for you to do. That was not commanded for you to do. That was your own act. That was your own temper. That was your own anger at work. Now, you put forth the effort. You cut the two tablets. But we also see God's grace, right? And I'll write them again. I'll write them again. And I'm going to do it through you. I'm not picking somebody else because you threw the first set down. No, I'm choosing you again, Moses. You. Cut the two tablets for yourself. Judgment and grace once again on display. That's the first command. Cut the tablets. Cut the stones. bring. And then, secondly, come up the mountain. As we talked about last Lord's Day evening... Um, Perhaps a couple of these are combined. I don't I, sometimes it's a little difficult reading, but it's certainly obvious that this is now at least the third, if not the fourth time, Moses has been called up the mountain. Four times as an 80-year-old, he's climbed the mountain of the Lord. Far enough away that he is away from the eyesight of all individuals and as we read the account it would appear that he is near the top of the mountain which is no short little hill as we uh, might want to make it. This is indeed a climb that this 80 year old man is now on for the third or fourth time. Come up the mountain. It's always God's invitation. Moses never goes up on his own. Moses never just decides, well, now I can do this. I'm Moses, after all. I can go up the mountain anytime I want. Moses himself understands he needs to respect the authority of the Lord, and he needs to understand grace. That it is indeed only by the Lord's invitation that one is able to come up the mountain. And so... That's what we read, right? Exodus chapter 34, those opening verses, those two things. One, cut for yourself two tablets. Secondly, come up the mountain. What's interesting as, you, as I read through the account, hopefully you caught it, is that Moses doesn't dawdle. No, Moses doesn't delay. Moses doesn't uh, set this aside and think, well, you know, I'll get around to it. I've got a lot of other things to do. There, there's a, I'm the leader of these people. I've got some important things to do today. No, he gets right to the business of cutting the stones. And we read, early in the morning, Moses begins the journey up. He does not hesitate. He does not put this off. There is a reminder to us as the people of God here of putting priorities, of first things first, of doing that which we are commanded and then at the invitation of God to always make the priority of coming into his presence. But even there, once again, the Lord makes it obvious that that this is indeed a great privilege. Don't let anybody else near this mountain and don't even let your animals graze on this thing because this mountain is holy. This mountain is holy, it is separate, it is unique, and yet, Moses, I'm allowing you to come, to come up the mountain. So that's first, the Lord's instruction. Secondly, we have the Lord's presence. So when Moses gets up there, when Moses makes the climb again, there are at least five things that we see the Lord doing. Moses gets to the location, wherever that location was to be, that, that he was to climb to. Then we read, note verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud. Not a cloud, not just any old cloud, not just some well, random cloud that comes, but a specific cloud, the cloud. The cloud referencing back then that which we uncovered last Sunday night is this cloud of his glory, this cloud of his protection, this cloud of his presence that we discovered back there as Israel leaves Egypt, that God comes to them and he's with them with his presence in the cloud and his glory is displayed in this cloud as a pillar of fire by day by night and a cloud by day. God's presence with his people, leading them, guiding them. Now it is that cloud, the cloud, that descends upon Mount Sinai and then envelops the top of the mountain and envelops Moses into this. This is what happened the first time Moses went up or the last time we had Sunday evening, Moses was there, and there was the cloud again, and now there's that picture again. And of course, if you're an Israelite looking up at this, you are being reminded of that which had happened previously before the golden calf. But now God in his grace is coming again. But of course, there's going to be the question, right? What is God going to do here? What is God going to do to Moses well, What's God going to do with his people? How, how is God going to deal with these sinful, rebellious, even as Moses describes them, stiff-necked people? We're never seeking the Lord. What, what's going to happen up there on the mountain? The cloud comes. The glory of God comes. But now what? Second thing, verses 6 and 7. The language kind of sounds strange to us. It it comes off as kind of unique. Why would the Lord speak about himself as if in the third person? Right? Because what we have happening is the Lord himself now speaks to Moses his name. Now, first of all, be reminded of the fact this is not the first time Moses has heard the name of the Lord. Remember back at the burning bush? Who shall I say sent me? Tell them that the I am sent you. No question from Moses this time. Now it is just God coming and saying this is who I am. Listen to the words that that are given to us here. The Lord passes before him and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, I am, I am. This is the most personal name of God. That we have in the Word, and we tend to think nothing of sharing our name. Although hopefully we're getting a little bit more careful about it in our society, right? Okay, you know when that Nigerian prince wants to send you five hundred million dollars, just share your name and some other info about you, and you'll you're you're in line for that, right? Or uh You know, just share your full name and identity when your grandson calls you from Chicago saying he's been arrested and he's using his one phone call to call you, okay? Hopefully we're a little more aware and a little more cautious sometimes about sharing our name, okay? The danger is we become so cautious we become sort of these nondescript people who just go around and move around the world but we have no names, In the Old Testament, one's name is the revelation of oneself. You you can do no more personal thing than to share your name. God, there on the mountain, comes to Moses and he gives him his name. But you see, one's name is one's identity one's name is one's being so notice what happens the lord the lord who am i merciful gracious slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Notice what Moses does. And quickly. Moses doesn't go, well, let me ponder what you have just done, Lord. Let me think about this a little bit. This is pretty unique. You, you've come to me and you, you've told me your name and you've disclosed the being of your character through not only your name, but in the words that you have given. Well, wow, this is really marvelous. I'm, I'm just going to take this in for a few moments. You mind if I write some of that down a moment? What does the text tell you he does? Quickly, he is bowing down. Why? Because he recognizes the grace that he has just been given. He has been able to hear from the voice of God. Not out of a bush now. But out of God's very presence. God's name. God's identity. And Moses recognizing the glorious privilege this is, is on his face in the ground. An act of worship. Oh, if we could catch but a glimpse, a little bit of this aspect, right? I heard it. I heard it as you sang a few minutes ago but it's the capturing of the totality of the fact we just had the privilege of declaring the greatness of God. Oh, Lord, the grace of that privilege. Third, he makes a covenant, verse 10. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. God's done this a number of times already, but he's doing it again. Why? Because Exodus 32, the golden calf, they broke it. They demolished the covenant. Not only did they demolish the covenant, Moses demolished the stones of the covenant. We have the shatters of a broken covenant, not only in the acts of the people, but in the acts of Moses. What does God do? I will make a covenant again. Remember, a covenant is the means by which God relates to us as the people. We cannot be in any relationship with God outside of the covenant the only way. That's the way God still relates to the world. He relates to the world either under the covenant of works, under its judgment or to us as believers in the covenant of grace. This is God's means of relationship. They've broken it. The sign of his covenant lies broken up there on Mount Sinai. Moses probably walked past it on his way up this mountain again. God, I will make covenant with you. I want to make a covenant. Unless Moses doesn't come up here saying, hey, we'd like to re-covenant with you, God. No, it's God again who initiates. Let's make covenant together. Fourth, verses 11 through 27, that long section of all those laws that you had there, God is again declaring his will. Just as he had declared it to Moses up on the mountain the first time, God is now declaring it again to Moses. I think the best way to understand, well, why, why is it kind of so selective? Why is it about some things and not everything? Why, why? I, I think the best way to understand what's happening here in 11 through 27 is God is coming to Moses and he's saying, look, I gave you moral law. Let me repeat some of them. I gave you some ceremonial laws. Let me repeat some of them. I gave you some national law. Let me repeat some of them. In the sense of God saying, I am re-covenanting with you again. And if Moses were to be thinking, well, in what way, in what areas? God's saying, just as I had before. Just as I covenanted with you by law before. I am covenanting with you again. And I am promising again, I will be with you. And you will be my people. And then fifthly, we have that, that note, okay, of God providing for Moses, verse 28. So he was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And he neither ate bread nor drank water. 40 days of provision. 40 days with the Lord. It's not that that God's providing some secretive food up there. Now, the passage says none. No water, no food. How did did that happen? How, How does Moses survive? The answer is the presence of God. In the presence of God, in the presence of God's glory. One needs none of the physical. Is this not a reminder itself of glory? Is this not a reminder of eternity? That those saints who are now departed from us on this earth and who are with the Lord in glory... Need neither food nor drink. Why? Because they are with the presence of the Lord. The physical is absent. It is not needed. It is not necessary. We are raised not a physical body, but a spiritual body. It's no longer needed in glory. Moses has the opportunity to catch a taste of this. No pun intended. 40 days and 40 nights of being in the presence of God and that's all one needs. One needs no more than God. I know we sometimes mean it in a kind of maybe more sentimental way than we do theological way, but, but sometimes I think it does a great dishonor to God when we say, oh, I can't wait to go to glory and see so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Like, God's going, hey, what about me? You're not excited to see me? It's all about mom, dad. Grandpa, grandma, you're excited to see them, but you're not me, the one who is all in all, the one who is going to fill you so full, so totally, so completely, you need nothing. He had neither food nor drink for 40 days and nights because he is in the presence of God. Thirdly, the Lord's glory. When Moses comes down the mountain, his face is shining. Verse 29 says, because he had been talking with God. I hope you caught something, and that's that this didn't happen the first time. We read none of this the first time Moses comes down. But this second time, God's message to his people is even more gracious. It's even more glorious. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God is continuing. To reveal to us the greatness of the glory of Christ. Even in the midst of their covenant unfaithfulness. God comes. He recovenants with them. And as a display, Moses' face. First of all, you see, they see him coming down the mountain. God didn't consume him. Forty days and forty nights. Is Moses dead? What happened to him? That was their question the first time. Here he comes down the mountain. Carrying again two tablets. But there's something different. There's something different about Moses. His face shining. What's different? He had been in the very presence of God. His face shines so brightly, we are told in this passage, that he needs to wear a veil over this. He, he needs to put something over it because the people can't, can't look at him. It's too bright. It's too glorious. They, it's too intense. Put a veil on it. But every time he goes to the tent of meeting to, to speak with the Lord, he takes off the veil. No veil in between him and the Lord. All oh, the richness of this passage of pointing us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The renting of the veil of the temple, right? So that we have access to the very presence of God. So let me take you to a New Testament passage. Let's leave this one and all that it means and all that it implies to us here because you might be saying well okay we learned some interesting lessons from this but what's it got to do with us today second corinthians chapter 3 sometimes god's word is the best commentary on god's word not sometimes always always god's word is the best commentary On God's word. Do you want to know what this passage really is all about? You want to know the core and the substance of what's going on here? Listen to the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to start at verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. Okay, what's he talking about? He's talking about the tablets. He's talking about the law. That's a ministry of death because all it can bring is judgment, can't bring life. We can never be saved by our obedience to doing some of the good things the law says. Because the law can only condemn, it can never give life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not look at Moses' face because of its glory, Which was being brought to an end. The law was being brought to an end. Yet God brought the law with such a glorious display. They cannot look at the face of Moses. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation. Then the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed in this case. What once had glory has become no glory, come to have no glory at all, the law, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we, we, believers, Christians, are very bold So, let me ask you a question. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is there a veil over you? No. The veil's been removed because you are in Christ. Keep going. Yes, uh, 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, we all, every single believer in Jesus Christ with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Do you realize that's our privilege? The privilege Moses had up there on the mountain in Exodus 34 is our privilege every day. That because of Christ, we can enter the presence of God. That glorious presence of God, a glory that surpasses the glory of Moses. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Wow, that's amazing. So what? Chapter 4. Get rid of the chapter break. Get rid of the paragraph. Listen. Therefore, having this ministry by the grace of God, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Because we shine with the glory of God into this world. We are the difference makers in this society. And if the world says, oh, close it. Oh, put a veil over it. We say, no veil. Because it's not our glory. It's the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The ministry of the gospel that goes forth into this world. Therefore, having this ministry by the ministry of mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Verse 5. For we, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, Let light shine out in darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I thank God that I had a mother whose face shone with the glory of God. And her ministry to me, to my family, was a ministry of unveiled face, mothers, grandmothers. What a ministry. Fellow believer, what a ministry. When you go back to work tomorrow, when you go back to school tomorrow, when you go back to your home, when you go back to your community, when you go back to this state, when you go back to this nation, when you go back to this world, you go back, not losing heart having been in the presence of God, you go back with unveiled face showing into this world the glory of Christ. The glorious message of the gospel that transforms your life and mine. The sad thing is It's not real often that somebody says, Bob, put a veil over your face, would you? The glory of God is shining out too much. Oh, would, Lord, that we would leave this place as transformed people to never hide God's glory in us. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Fill now our lives in every part with your glory. In Christ's name, God's people say, amen.